talking to the Grace community about uh, the provisions that the Lord has like provided for fresh water, um, our intention with engaging and investing in Tom Watkins and Williams Elementary, and really just like the land we have, the purpose, the intention, all of the things. And uh, I got to talk with him on Friday morning, and he is just amped. And the cool thing is, so is Grace Community. They just think it's the coolest thing in the world. Um, so uh, just be praying for him as you think about it this morning, even if it means for a split second you don't listen to me to just lift JT up um, as he's praying uh, or preaching to Grace Community. Um, just pray that we all walk in humility, one mind, one purpose, you know, one vision and one heart um, to reach the lost, uh, to love on those who do not know Christ. So either way, that's what he's doing. Um, that being said, I am Tony Percy. For those of you who don't know me, we got a couple new, newer old faces that are here this morning. It's great to see you guys. Um, and yeah, so either way, um, we have been going through the book of Philippians, as you guys know. Um, and now we're about clo like close to the end of, of chapter 2. Um, the passage we're going over this morning is chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, or actually 16b through 18, but I'm going to do 16, the whole verse, because it's pertinent to what we're preaching this morning. Uh, that being said, it's kind of a non-passage, or at, seemingly at first, per, like first perspective, we just kind of go over it like, oh, okay, Paul just kind of wrapping things up from his thought from like really starting in chapter one, verse 27-ish. It's kind of like, okay, well, Paul's just wrapping up his thoughts here. Um, so I'm not gonna lie, when I read it initially, I was kind of like, whoa, there's not a whole lot here. <laughs> uh, thanks, JT, this'll be fun. Paul said, rejoice with me. Let's have an attitude of thankfulness. Goodbye. That was my initial sermon. Um, there's a lot more there, which is great. Um, it, it's cool to just see what the Lord can do as you study his word, like how it is the living and breathing word of God and how he can teach you over a couple of simple sentences, um, something so deep about his character, but also something that pertains so much to us as we live out our Christian life. Um, yeah, if you would, let's just go ahead and open up this morning in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we, we come before you praying to you because we recognize your authority, not just over our lives as your children, but also your authority, your sovereignty over all of creation. But Lord, we also come to you with hearts of thankfulness, hearts of gratitude, because we recognize that your character is good that you are the God that you claim to be, that you've done what you said you were gonna do, and that as your children, we, we are who you proclaim us, who you declare us to be. Lord, I pray this morning, um, with all the nerves that I have, that you would just calm them and allow me to, to really just rest in who you are. Because this morning is not about me, it's not about how well I articulate things, it's about 
glorifying Christ and who he is and what he's done on our behalf. And I pray this morning that you be glorified. Lord, I also pray that this morning, as we study your word, that you would just open our hearts to hear the truth of your word, that it would not just be cool knowledge in our head, but that it would make the longest trip from our head to our heart. And that we would actually hear the truth of your word and apply it to our lives. Not only because it's uplifting and, and like glorifying in a good way for us, as we walk obediently to what you've commanded, but Lord, it's also glorifying to your son who is worthy. Lord, thank you for your grace. We love you, we trust you, we thank you in your name, amen. All right, so like I said, we've been going through the book of Philippians. We are in chapter two. We've been in chapter two for a few weeks. Um, last week, JT preached on verses 14 through 16, A. Um, that being said, um, as we dive into the text this morning, it's actually really important that we read the entirety of the text. I'm going to read verses 14 through 18 just so that we don't have the ability to take anything out of context, that we can just read God's word, take it for what it is, and then apply it to our lives. So if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles or your phones to Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that on the, in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial uh, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. This morning, we are going to see what Paul says or teaches us it takes to run this race well. However, <laughs> Before we look in depth in that instruction, it's important that we understand the context. In the near context, verses 14, or even going all the way back to verse one, or chapter 1, verse 27, when he says all things, it's the all things that are a part of working out our salvation. Like he stated in verse 12, um, which we can read it real quick if you, if you would. Therefore, my beloved... Uh, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's what TJ preached on a couple weeks ago. But in the greater context of the book of, book of Philippians, or the letter, because let, let's remind ourselves that when they received this letter from the Apostle Paul, it was the congregation of the church in Philippi sat down and they read the letter from Paul in one sitting which is odd for us because we're going verse by verse, right? But that's how it would have been received the initial time. So 
if we can put it in that context and then go back to verse 127, it says, conduct, con- conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. These are all things related to living out the Christian life. It includes the unity that we've talked about, the humility that we've talked about that exists among the Christian church. And Paul talks about, like even talks about in the first verses of of chapter 2. When we remember who God is, when we remember who he declares himself to be and what he has done for us, how does that change our lives? How does that affect us? Well, we've talked about it, like, as we've gone through the book of Philippians, that it changes the fact that we don't grumble and dispute among one another. Now, is that difficult to understand? A little bit. I know when I'm, my mind's not renewed, it's definitely difficult to understand. When my mind's not renewed, guess what? I have 100% valid reasons to grumble and dispute. I complain about work, I complain about my wife, I complain about my kids. (laughs) I got issues with pretty much everything. As Tori says, sometimes I'm just a grumpy old man. Well, that's true. When I'm not renewing my mind, when I'm not holding fast to the word of life. But when we remember who God is, what he's done, and who he declares himself to be, we know that God loves us. And he's proved it for all eternity upon the sacrifice of his son on the cross. Romans 5.8, right? We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8.38 and 39. How beautiful is that? We know that God is good. We know that in his goodness he is also sovereign. As true Christians, as, as believers, as children, we can hold fast to the fact that he knows what is best for us. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. To those who are called according to his purpose. And we take that in context of Paul and his current circumstances, that kind of puts things into perspective. The man's in prison right now. Yet Paul is able to be joyful. <laughs> even though he was imprisoned, and he even had other believers intentionally doing things that they thought would give him turmoil and struggle intentionally trying to make his life harder. And these are other believers, as we've talked about. And yet Paul's joyful, and he's rejoicing. Not only praising God, but also encouraging the church in Philippi to rejoice along with him. As we saw last week when JT was preaching, the purpose of not grumbling and disputing is to give proof that our character, uh, give proof of our character and relationship to what God, uh, relationship to God, as well as those around us that we impact. 
as Christians, our godly character is noted. And as we mature in Christ, we should be increasing in our obedience to the principles and precepts that are laid out to us in Scripture. The hard part is, none of this is done out of our own ability, is it? Is Christ's work in our life? And as we learn to love him more, the love that we have for him expresses itself in our obedience and our submission, like Paul talks about himself being a bond slave. Someone who intentionally gives up authority to another for the sake, because of the sake of the master. A bond slave is someone who, by, like by Roman law, someone who had worked and gained their freedom. They were free. And they said, you know what? That's all well and good. I'm glad I've earned that. Or I'm glad I've gained that. But you're such a good master, I would like to stay under your authority. And they were indentured servants. That's another term for a bond slave. And they were marked as being that master's, typically by a piercing in the ear or something along those lines. And they would serve that master for the rest of their life. We get to refer to ourselves as bond slaves of Christ. Why? Because he's a good master, because he is worthy, because he is gracious and merciful, because he loves us. Another thing we've talked about that, like, as we've been walking through Philippians, is as we mature, we're marked as being innocent. Which in this context means a character that is unmixed with evil. God desires us to be wise in what is good and to be innocent in what is evil. And that's straight from Romans 16, verse 19. As we increase in our maturity, grow in our knowledge and understanding, we also have the results of being above reproach, being blameless. Now, blameless, just to clarify for everyone, being blameless does not be not mean being perfect. That's not what he's calling us to. One day we will be glorified and we will be perfect with Christ. That being said, right now, I'm not going to attain perfection. But I can be a blameless man in the way that I walk. Guess what? I make mistakes. I sin. I fail. I struggle. And in those sin, the sins and the failures and the struggles... What God calls me to is seeking reconciliation, seeking forgiveness, to humbly consider others as more important than myself. It's not about the shame or the guilt that Tony's feeling. It's about making sure that everyone knows that I'm doing my absolute best, even in my failures, that I run to God, that I run to reconcile, that, that we as a church do that. Being blameless gives us positive proof that we are indeed children of God, that we indeed have a special relationship with the creator himself. 
It is through his, God's grace and our faith in Christ that we have been adopted into the family. Now, as children of God, we have the freedom to approach God with boldness and call him Abba, Father, the most intimate of relationships. Now, I know all of this is just kind of like, okay, cool. The reality is it's in sharp contrast with the culture that we live in today. I've recently changed occupations. I am a welder grinder at SFI, Stainless Fabrication Incorporated. Now, they are a specific type, kind of like the oil field in regards to I'm a big, tough man. No one tells me what to do. See what you got. Everyone likes to make you feel uncomfortable. Everyone likes to say things that are not (laughs) holy. I got put into that with the guy that hired me and told everybody that I was a pastor. I was like, oh, cool, (laughs) okay. Yeah, just starting me off on a hard foot. Great. No, he, he did not mean anything. He was proud of that fact. He is a believer himself. That being said, it's caused some contention. Oh, you're a pastor, huh? And they try to make me feel as uncomfortable, as unholy, and as out of place as possible. Yet, I've been there not even a month. I've had a lesbian girl come up to me and say, I need parenting advice. I've had guys come up to me and say, hey, Tony, I need you to help encourage me to not swear as much and to go back to church. I've had people just kind of unload their lives. Just saying, this is where everything's at. That's why I don't like God. That's why I don't want to go to church. That's why I don't like Christians, yada, yada, yada. I mean, you're cool enough that you're working here with us, but still. I stick out, not because I'm an amazing man, but because God is good. Because God has taught me and changed me and shown me what it means to live a life of submission and service to him and his authority. And by God's grace, I hope I have an impact on their lives. To be that light on a hill, to be or city on a hill, light in a dark world, right? Sorry about that. It's also been interesting because as I'm working with them, I also see them take scripture. Because a lot of these guys, I mean, we live in the Bible Belt, so they probably grew up in Christian homes or at least, at least church-going homes. They take the word of God and they twist it. They distort it to try to meet their perspective or to justify their sin. And it's hard because I just want to build a relationship, a friendship with them, and yet all they can do is when they're with me is defend why they are the way they are. Justify their sin in comparison to going, I know that what you are talking about is true, and I'm going to submit to that. It's the way the world works. 
The world doesn't want to have a master. The, the unbeliever doesn't want to admit that they are wrong and that they need, desperately need a savior. And it's hard as a believer going, wait, I'm not perfect. I sin, I fail, and these guys are looking to me. Or this, this lady's looking to me for counsel and advice on how to raise her children. Didn't think I'd be having this conversation in the near years. I'm still figuring it out myself. So how do we as Christians accomplish all of it? Seems like a big lofty question, but Paul answered it really simply. And JT talked about it last week. How do we accomplish this? By holding fast to the word of life. And holding fast to the word of life is not only the Holy Spirit inspired scripture, the word of God, but it's also the person of Jesus Christ. Having our minds renewed going, you've done what you said you're going to do, you are who you proclaim to be, and the things that you declare about me are true. I am sanctified. That means I've been completely set apart by position. I am holy. That means that I am justified. I have been fully made right legally by Christ and what he's done on my behalf. And I am forgiven. I've been forgiven. He remembers my sins no more. They are as far as the east is from the west. That is who I am. That is who Christ declares me to be. So that's the quick recap of what we've been learning the past few weeks, month, month and a half. I don't know how long we've been in Philippians. A while. That's a recap, quick recap of what we've been learning. So now as we go into verse 16 through 18, let's go ahead and read it together. I'm going to start in 16a, by the way. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. As I mentioned, or as we mentioned as pastors, back in Philippians 2, 2, Paul has a personal interest in how well the Philippian church is doing, how their walk, of Christ, or their walk with Christ is being lived out. As they conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, back in Philippians 1, 27, by being of the same mind, Maintaining the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose, they will make his joy complete or full. It's Philippians 2.2. 2. What Paul says here is an extension of that same theme. As they work out their salvation with fear and trembling, like TJ talked in 2.12, by doing all things without grumbling or disputing and proving themselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of this perverse and crooked generation. 
and appear as lights in the world. And that's what JT preached on last week. And hold fast and uh, hold fast to the word of life. Then Paul will know that his work among them, among them has not been in vain. He will have reason to glory in the day of Christ. Now the day of Christ is specifically used three times in scripture. And it's used three times in the book of Philippians. The day of Christ does not speak of um, when Christ returns like a thief in the night. It seems to be, as, as scholars have studied and even as I study, what I found was that it's talking about the Bema Seat of Christ, where a believer is standing before Christ and judged based off of his works. That's what it's talking about here. And we also see that Paul here is specifically looking forward to that day when he gets to stand before the Lord and say, this is what I did with what you gave me. Now, initially when I read this, we hear Paul say, I'll have reason to glory. <laughs> and to me that was kind of awkward, not going to lie. It, it seems like one of those things like, wait a minute, like, reason to glory is in all the glory for Christ. So, of course, naturally the way to study that out is go, okay, let's do a word study. What does glory mean in context, language, etc., etc.? So the Greek word here that is being used for glory would actually better be, or maybe more understanding for us, would be the same word as rejoice. Paul isn't talking about the personal glory that he'll receive when he stands before the Lord. Paul is talking about the attitude of being thankful and rejoicing that the Lord was able to use him to impact and invest in the church in Philippi. Now, does that sound familiar? Because to me it does. Because guess what? As a parent, I rejoice when my son makes a good decision. I rejoice when my daughter has been, though she's been disciplined and taught and retaught and disciplined and taught and retaught, when she makes that decision and goes, ah, I vaguely remember mom and dad saying, I can't claw my brother's eyes out. I'm not going to do it this time. She comes running and she's like, Dad, guess what? I was angry at Hudson and I didn't scratch him. Lily, that's amazing. Good job. And she's so proud of herself. She's like, I'm doing it right. I, I listened to what you taught me and I did it. I didn't claw his eyes out. I just told him I didn't like that. And he stopped. It's amazing. It's like, Lily, as a three-year-old, you are doing amazing. And I get to, as a father, have that pride, have that joy, have that glory, and rejoice along with Lily that she is succeeding in the way that we are teaching her to go. Same thing goes with Hudson. Dad, I didn't punch Lily in the head. Bravo, son. Well done. Give me a high five. Church, that's what Paul's doing here. He is the founding father, the pastor of this church, and he's going, live this way. 
live in a manner worthy of Christ. Because then when he returns in the day of Christ and we're standing before him, not only will you be proud of the way that you lived your life, that you were blameless, that you were humble, that you were kind, that you were not disputing among one another, that you lived in unity for one purpose and one mind, and that was to glorify me. Good job, church in Philippi. But also Paul, Paul gets to stand there and go, praise God, he used me to do that. He used me to expand his gospel to those who needed to hear the news of the glorious Savior. Praise God. And they all get to rejoice to the glory of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's not saying I get to sit there and gloat that I did so good. Which, let's be honest, many times when we're evangelizing or even parenting or investing in people, we go, but there's a little something for me. I want to know that I did good. Well, in our submission to the work of the Holy Spirit, but also the submission to the authority of Christ, we get that in the day of Christ, that we get to sit there and go, God, you are good. In verse 17, Paul goes on to address his personal response and the fact that it's true regardless of their actions in the church of Philippi. He says, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of your faith, I rejoice and share all of my joy with you. So I, as I was studying and researching, the animal sacrifices and things like that were typically used mostly, and then a portion was either given to the high priest or back to the worshiper. So that was one of the differences between the drink offering, the, the liquid sacrifice. Okay? Anyways, so as I was studying that, Paul saying, I'm being poured out as a drink offering is like, to them, it would make sense that what Paul is saying here is that he is pouring himself out in complete fullness for the sake of their faith. And we know, like, even going back to, like, 1 Corinthians, that Paul, Paul didn't ask anything from the churches that he was ministering to. Paul supplied himself by being a tent maker, and he worked with his hands to provide for his ministry for the sake of not having anything that would hinder them, the people he is ministering to, from hearing the gospel, from hearing the good news. He didn't want anything to dis dissuade them or shadow them from understanding the goodness of the gospel. So we know that Paul lives a life of sacrifice in that sense. But then we go back and we go, okay, a drink offering. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Who is Paul modeling his ministry after? It's after the person of Jesus Christ. He's pouring himself out in fullness. Just as Christ did on the cross 
for mankind. And then on top of that, Paul says he rejoices. Regardless of their actions, regardless of their success, he's pouring himself out in fullness for the sake of their faith to glorify Christ. And that is a worthy pursuit. I'm just going to read what I wrote here so that I don't go off the cuff. In essence, Paul says that he rejoices and that he can be used by God for the service of their faith. It was a sacrifice on Paul's part to do this ministry for, or to do this ministry, as he points out in 1 Corinthians 9, like I mentioned. He, he rarely gains for himself, though he... Uh, had the right to be paid. Sorry, guys, I got to get this thing off. It's annoying me. It's now it's not around my face. Okay, there we go. Sorry, I have probably undo- undiagnosed ADHD, so that was just a lot. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Though he had the right to be paid for his ministry, he earned his living by his own hands and preached the gospel without charge so as to not burden those whom he was ministering. Paul did not want anything to unnecessarily hinder them in hearing and receiving and responding to Christ Jesus. He was set to be a sacrifice for the service of their faith. And Paul rejoiced in God's continual provision for him. But even more, he rejoiced in that he was being used for the word of God to others. His personal circumstances did not matter to Paul as long as God was being glorified. He desired to share his joy with them, which is part of the purpose of this letter to them. He wanted them to know that his uh, he wanted them to know his own joy and what he saw God was doing. And like I said that is like a direct reflection of the person of Jesus Christ. Is that not what Christ did on the behalf of all mankind? While we were yet enemies, he gave his life upon the cross, dying the death of a criminal for the sake of being the sacrifice so that I could be reconciled to the true God, so that I could live in life and in freedom, so that I could have hope for tomorrow, so that I could be justified, so that I could be sanctified, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could live with a new life, so that I could take his promises that he's given me everything that pertains to the life of godliness and walk in that truth, so that I could walk in the freedom from slave, being a slave to sin and death, so that I could walk in truth and in light. That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. That's, that's what he's talking about, that he is willing to give and sacrifice for the sake of their faith. And then he, he encourages them in verse 18, and I urge you to do the same. Now, church, we're human. Guess what? There are some days when spiritually I've got my head on straight. There are some days when, even in the past few weeks, when I've been at work 
And I've been able to wake up that morning, spend time in the Word. I go to work. My day's going well. And I get a text from my wife, and she's like, these kids. These kids, Tony. I'm done. I am angry at them. I am not responding in grace. I am not forgiving. I am just angry. They are not listening to me at all. And by God's grace, because my mind has been renewed by the word of God, because I am holding fast to the word of life, I can say, hey, Tori, it's a worthy endeavor. For the sake of their faith, are you willing to sacrifice yourself? Thanks, babe. I needed that. There's other times when I'm walking in sin or struggling or just having a tough day, and my wife is the exact opposite for me or JT, or Jake Miller. As we surround ourselves with the body of Christ, they help point us to the things that actually matter. They help renew our minds. As a body, we get to engage with one another. We get to do life with one another, like our, in our life groups, to say, I'm struggling with this, and have someone come alongside and say, hey, but remember who Christ is, what he's done for you, and who you are in him. Now walk in that truth. Don't get so caught up in your circumstances because guess what? They're fleeting. They don't actually matter. What does actually matter is the person of Jesus Christ being glorified for what he's done on your behalf. Now again, this seems like a big ask. Because for me as a believer, that kind of seems overwhelming that I have to live my life perfectly. (laughs) That people are watching me going judging me whether I want what you have or I don't want what you have. And the adversary uses that to cause us to just go into our own little shell. We're not going to disciple people. I'm not quite mature enough. I'm not going to evangelize because I don't know all of the scriptures. And what if they challenge me? How do we do it as believers? This is where I said, I don't care what JT ended on, I'm going back to it, holding fast to the word of life. It is a two-part thing. It is the glorious, perfect word of God, and it is the person of Jesus Christ who reveals himself through the word of God. Why do we spend time in the word of God? Is it to check the list? No. Is it to grow in knowledge? Yes, but not solely. I grow in knowledge for the sake of growing in relationship. With my wife, eight years ago, coming up on, I think. (laughs) Don't tell her I said that. Um, Anyways, with my wife, when I first married her, I thought I knew what I needed to be to be a good husband for her. I did. I thought I was the bomb of a husband for her because I got to marry her. I put the ring on her finger, take that, read it and weep, right? That being said, I was a terrible husband. Why? Because I didn't know anything. I didn't know what it meant to be her husband. But over the years that we've been married, I have grown in my knowledge and my understanding of who she is. Now, I still fail. I still struggle, but I'm a much better husband today than I was. 
when we got married. That being said, from the day that I married her to now, my position has never changed. I've always been her husband in my successes and my failures. I've always been her husband. My identity, my position is that I am Tori's husband. Now I'm growing in my knowledge and my understanding. So it is important to grow in our knowledge and understanding, but that's not the, that's not the crux of the, the issue. The thing is that I need to grow in it for the purpose of honoring and loving her. Just like as we study God's word, that's what we do. We grow in our knowledge and understanding so that we can submit our lives to glorifying him in the way that we live. If you hold fast to the word of life, we will conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We will be of the same mind, the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose with other believers. We will do nothing out of selfish ambition and empty conceit and humbly consider others as more important than ourselves. We will look for the interests of others instead of just our own. We will have the attitude of Jesus Christ who humbled himself to pay the sacrifice of our sins. To the degree that we hold fast to the word of life, we will do all things without grumbling or disputing while proving our proving ourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God who are above reproach and who are lights in this dark world. Now that's the end of our passage. And it's got some great information. It's got some great challenges for us to live in. But how does it affect our daily lives? How do I actually walk this out? Yes, spending time in the Word of God. Yes, being engaged with the body of Christ. But what does this actually look like? Church, what it actually looks like is discipleship and evangelism. Moms, your children at home. Everyone, the occupation you engage in. Fathers, your children. Paul is calling them to rejoice with him, but also to replicate his model of him following Christ. To do all of those things I just listed, to walk humbly, to imitate Christ, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel for the sake of those who are looking at your life, whether it be your children or your coworker or your husband or your wife or your relatives of any sort that when they look at you, they go, I want what he's got because it's something different. My dad always challenged me growing up. He said, Tony, if someone lived your life for one day, for a full 24 hours, would they want what you have? And it's a good, good question to challenge yourself as you're interacting with those around you, as the Lord is using you to impact people's lives are they looking at you going, you have something different and I want to know what it is. So church, as we engage in Tom Watkins, as we engage in Williams, as we engage with one another in our life groups, as we engage with our discipleship relationships, understand it's going to be long-suffering. 
even right now, it, it feels long-suffering as a church. Like, we've got momentum, but we don't. Where are we at? What are we engaging in? What are we doing? But the Lord is answering questions, or like prayers that we've had in, in spades right now. So how do we continue to pursue and to engage and to love for the sake of glorifying Christ? In your, delight, in your discipleship relationships, understand it's going to be long-suffering. It's going to test your patience. Sometimes it's going to disappoint and make you angry. Sometimes you're going to be tired. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. Yet in all of that, as we engage, understand it's for the glory of Christ. Don't give up on your children just because they're being a brat. Don't. They're worth it. Them coming to salvation is worth it. It's worth your, your effort, your investment, your struggle. When you go into Tom Watkins and you're talking to a neighbor near the property or near the house, and you're going, who are you? And they're a little bit combative. Don't back down. Proclaim Christ. Because guess what? Their salvation is worth it. Imitate Christ. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel because you never know who is watching. And one day before Christ at the Bema seat, the judgment seat, you get to stand there and say, I lived for your glory. I lived with intention to reveal the truth of who you are and what you've done on the behalf of us. And in all of that, even in the struggle and the pain and the, the things that don't feel so amazing, we get to have an attitude of thankfulness because just like I, I opened up this, thankfulness is a recognition of God's character. Our hearts can rejoice because we know he is a good, faithful, patient, loving God that is sovereign, all-powerful, and all-knowing, and he has given us everything that pertains to the life of godliness, and he knows our exact situation at the exact time we're going through it. And he's given us everything to be able to walk in a way that glorifies and honors him. That's what scripture says. And so that's the confidence that we get to walk in. So as you engage with your life groups, as you engage in your discipleship, as you engage in church with your families and everything else, Let's hold fast to the word of life. Let's hold fast to the person of Jesus Christ and the word of God and live for his glory because he's worth it. Church, I love you. I hope these words, though they're from me, I hope they impact your heart in a way that, that is life-changing because just like I want my son to listen and grow and mature, that's what JT, myself, and TJ all desire as well. That we grow and mature in our knowledge and understanding so that we can live in a life or live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ.
Church, we've got a great group of people here, and I can't wait to see how the Lord uses us to impact those around us. And honestly, that's where JT is right now. He's preaching that at Grace Community too. Just open the eyes of this is what we as Freshwater are doing. Be encouraged. Allow the truth to settle in your hearts. And allow the Lord to use you. You're not too broken. You're not too distracted. You're not too tired. He's a good God and he knows exactly who he's picked to use him to advance his kingdom and glorify his name. So walk in confidence and courage and boldness to spread the good news. I love you guys. I'm going to be over there. We'll pray real quick, but if there's anybody that needs prayer or anything like that, feel free to come over. Um, I love you guys. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Honestly, when I first saw this passage, I was like, wait, what? And yet as I've studied and seen other people's studies and, and read the information, Lord, you've, you've taught me a lot. You're teaching me a lot of what it looks like to be a bond servant of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would take our word, uh, or take your word, that it would make its home in our hearts. Lord, I pray that as you make our home in our hearts, that you, you would continue to grow and, and mature us as your children. But Lord, I also pray that as people observe or investigate our lives, that they would, they would look at us and go, you've got something different. And that it wouldn't be that my life is going well or perfect or anything, but that it would be that I have Jesus Christ. I pray that that would be the, the first and foremost thing that when I either introduce myself or engage with someone, it's, well, I'm a Christian and my name is Tony Percy and this is how I live. Lord, we get so distracted by all the things of life and so many times we, we aren't renewing our minds with the truth of your word, with the truth of who you are.